Hey, Anna, remember that time New York Newsies seized the day? I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out on all their favorite moments in history. Welcome back. Welcome back. We're here. We're doing it. We're doing it. It's July. We're officially out of Pride. And I'm going to be very honest with you guys. I almost did another bummer. (laughs) Um, And then I went, you know what? I think that we need no bummers um, because... Before Pride, we had two pretty bumming bummers um, yeah. that were very interesting, but were bummers. Um, and so I was yeah. like, you know, like, and I'm going to not do that. And closer to spooky season, which don't get me wrong, I'm very excited about, but it you, those usually are bummers <laughs> in some way. Yeah. So I was like, you know, let's do not that. So that's this week is not that. Great. I'm very excited. Um, do you want a drink update? Yes. I'm having red wine. It's the end of my work week. I got a spoiler for your drink update as you lifted it into frame mm-hmm. when you were asking if you wanted a drink update. Mm-hmm. I'm drinking water. Woohoo. Oh, I left my water somewhere else. Whoops. Uh-oh. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> the wine will sustain you. <laughs> as per use. <laughs> as per use, yeah. All right. Well, this week, we are going to talk about the Newsboys Strike of 1899. I love this. I opened the notes and I was like, ooh, a strike. How how timely to talk about a strike. Yeah, I was looking. My Pride episode was also about a strike yeah. and unions. Um, So I'm on a kick, I guess. Well, there's um, a really, really active, pretty big oh, yes. strike going on right now. Yeah. And another like, one just kind of starting off you know um, i love talking about the downfalls of capitalism so like <laughs> why not um and also fact about me i uh newsies is probably my favorite musical i'm mm. like very wow. obsessed with that musical that's um, old. yeah i love it um i care about it very deeply i really wish that my um standards that i teach for history went just a little further back in time because I'm mm. desperate to do a unit on that musical um, yeah. and, like, use that because I'm so interested in it. Um, so I don't know that this is going to be a super long episode because, frankly, the strike did not last that long. Um, no. And there's not, like, a ton, a ton to say, but I find it so interesting that I thought it, at the very least, deserved an episode. So yeah, for sure. if this is a little shorter, that's probably why. That's cool. Um, and just for the record, my favorite musical is Annie. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Everybody always laughs at me when I say that, but they're wrong. It's a banger. It's the perfect musical. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So a little like background for the strike. In the late 1800s. <coughs> I'm so sorry. I can't stop coughing. That's okay. Um, I also said 1800s. So I'm going <laughs> to Please keep that in. I can't stop coughing because the air in my city is, bad. is just smoke. Right oh, yeah. Now, it's smoke so. here, too. It's real bad. Oh, it's yeah. awful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um. Anyway. In, in the, the late, late 1800s. 1800s. <laughs> um, newspaper publishers rely on newsboys, 
or I'm going to use newsies more often than not because boys were not the only people who did who sold newspapers. Yeah, and also it was, newsboys has given me some conservative Christian yeah. flashbacks. Oh my you know, god. You know. Yeah. Um <laughs> but uh have no archives. Newsies as goofy as it sounds is more inclusive, so that's what I'm probably going to mm-hmm. use mostly. Um to are. sell their newspapers. So the morning papers would be delivered by wagon directly to their subscribers. But then the evening editions would be sold to newsies who would then distribute the papers. Right. Um, they would, like, walk around the city and sell extra, them. Extra, extra, read all about it. Indeed. Yeah. Newspapers so, for sale. <laughs> get your papesy. That was an office reference. <laughs> um, so that means that newsies are not, uh, like, official employees of the publishers. Anybody could come and buy a stack of papers and then sell it. They're like contract employees. Kind of. Basically, yeah. So most newsies had papers that they sold for just because, like, they would have higher distribution in their part of the city or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they were not official employees. It's largely young children from poor immigrant families. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are no child labor laws at this point. <laughs> right. Notoriously, yeah. Um, so... If these kids were not uh, working in factories, they would, like, after school, go and sell the evening paper. Yeah, because kids had to make money back then for, you know, poor families, particularly immigrant families. Like, if the kids weren't also working, they weren't going to make it. They could not make it. Yeah, And, and that's even, like, I think a lot of people think, like, oh, like, in one parent households, the kids would sometimes work two parent households also like with two or three kids all working yes Mm -hmm. yeah except for the babies and then like sometimes the older kids job was then just to take care of the babies yeah this is on the the back end of the industrial revolution um which we're gonna come back to in a minute sure that fact um so the way this would work um is they would buy the papers from the publishers and then slide them sell them at a slight upcharge so most papers would sell bundles of 100 papers for 50 cents. And so most of the newsies would sell the papers for a cent a piece and they would make half a cent profit. Profit. Right. Uh, which seems like nothing to us. But then that was like, you know, I was wasn't gonna good say, money. Like, 50 cents for 100 papers seems kind of expensive to me for the 1800s. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was... No, I mean, it wasn't, they weren't making good money, but they no. did make a pro- enough of a profit to be able to put a little away from food for food and then come back and buy papers the next day. Like that right. was basically the money that they made. Right. Um, and you also have to remember that that is uncomfortable work. They are yeah. walking the city and they for are hours. Small. They're young. They're not adults. Mm-hmm. Right. It would be they're, kind of hard work for an adult. They're out in all weather. Um, and if they don't sell their papers, the company does not buy them back. So they have to sell to make a profit at all. And they can't sell them tomorrow. Right. Because they're today's papers. They're out of date by tomorrow. So kids would often be up very, very late, um, trying to sell off what was left. Right. Basically. Uh, in 1989, nope, every time, when the nines and the eights are too close together, I get stressed. In 1898, the Spanish-American War begins, so demand for papers increases, Mm -hmm. because people have to know what's going on. It's more news. 
So newspapers increased their prices to 60 cents per 100. And initially, that is not a big deal because the increase is offset by sales. Right. Because they are selling way more papers. So they are selling, on average, at least 10 more papers to make up for that difference. Do you know if the Newsies raised their prices to make more profit? So I was going to come back to oh, that, okay. but okay. um, I well I can we talk can, about we it now. Can come back to it. They the most people would sell it for a penny because that's all people would be willing to spend on it, right? right? But a lot of Newsies would use tactics of like making up fake headlines that sounded oh. exciting, um, or like. You see a lot of this in the musical, but the musical is really based off of the true stories of these people that they would, like, make up real sob stories about themselves and, oh, you poor thing, I'll give you a dime, you keep the change. Like, they would occasionally be able to play to get the profit. I just meant, like, in this exact instance, because the demand for papers is not. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, But at the very least, they were able to buy more and sell more, so it didn't really matter. They were selling more anyway, so their profit margin didn't really change that much. I was just curious. Yeah. But after the war ends, most papers set their prices back down to 50 cents. Except for the Evening World and the New York Evening Journal. They both keep their prices at 60 cents per 100. So the New York world had been around since the 1860s, but it was bought by Joseph Pulitzer in 1883. That guy. Joseph Pulitzer, what a (laughs) dude. He could be his own episode. Oh my God, he's got Mm -hmm. some stuff. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So he's in charge of that company. And the world's biggest competitor is the New York Evening Journal, which is owned by William Randolph Hearst. That guy. Yeah. We got a couple of guys here. I'll tell you what. I was doing research for this yesterday and um, had Newsy stuck in my head the whole time I was oh, doing sure. it because I kept just going Pulitzer and Hearst, they think they got <laughs> us. Um, but then today as I was doing notes, I was like, I have to put it on because I can't, it's just repeating. Yeah, and I I, so I was taking notes with it on in the background. Um, so the competition between the two papers leads to the rise of something called yellow journalism. Um, very popular during this time. It's named that because one of the comics that those papers put out was called, like, The Yellow Boy, and this was around the time that they both started publishing in color for the first time, and so that, like, this period of this increase in sales and then this exaggerated stories becomes known as yellow journalism. Um, was the com- I think I know the answer to this, but was that comic- pretty racist i didn't i genuinely didn't look okay. into it um, i yeah i also am gonna guess yeah but okay. i didn't look at what the character really was at all i just saw that that's where the name came from and i was like that's gotcha. all i need um <laughs> yeah fair enough but so papers would start to exaggerate or lie about stories in order to sell more papers so this is when you get mm-hmm. some of those more like tabloidy type stories where they're really yeah. playing it up but they're being sold by these like major serious newspapers yeah and so people start to be like um i don't know about all that um what's that like but i was thinking back to like nelly bly because i was reading about when pulitzer took over she worked for pulitzer that's right yeah and her around the world was a publicity stunt for the paper i mean yeah that's right like that was why she did it is she was put on the beat to do that by pulitzer so they were like these two it was papers all were all about sensationalizing all of the Yes. Yeah. Um, and this is where I had originally put this note that Newsies also played up 
right. stuff. Like, if the headline was really dull, they would make up their own to try and convince people to get the paper. Right. And then they would get the paper and that would not be the headline, but who cares that they've already made their money. They've so already whatever. made their money. Yeah. Um, so they are, part of the reason they do not decrease their prices is because A, they're very, very successful right now, and B, they are competing with each other, so they both want to keep prices competitive, because right. they want to sell more papers than the other. Because they're capitalists. Yeah. Got it. No, oh, just a cup, <laughs> just a couple of capitalists yep. over here. Yeah. Big time. Um, so that's some of the background. Yep. And we've also talked about the Newsies working conditions, and now they've got these papers, 60 cents per 100, and they are no longer selling as many as they were during the war. Right. So that is really hurting these kids. They have to stay out longer hours to sell more papers to even break even to be able to keep going. Um, so on July 18th, 1899, a group of newsies in Long Island and in Queens overturn a New York Journal distribution wagon and declare a strike against the journal in the world until the prices return to 50 cents per hundred. Um, the Manhattan and Brooklyn Newsies join the next day, and the strike will end up lasting just a little over two weeks, and across that time, all five boroughs of New York join, and a ton of other um, New York communities and other northeastern cities mm. strike at the same time. Um None of those were quite as big as the New York strike, wow. but the solidarity for the strike spreads pretty quickly. As it usually does. Absolutely, yeah. Um, this strike also comes after several labor strikes through the late 1890s. There are... Oh, sure, a, yeah. This is the late Industrial Revolution, right? So all of these big names like Pulitzer and Hearst... And, like, Carnegie, right, mm, oh, are making yeah. their money and establishing these empires, and people are starting to realize that the work is not sustainable. And so there are, a t the late 1800s is full of labor oh, unions yeah. and strikes. It, it is the rise of the exploitation of the working force in this country. Mm -hmm. And the working force says, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not without some challenges, at least. Yeah. Really, I mean, know? these people are the reason we have the eight-hour workday is because mm -hmm. they, struck, they struck and fought for it. Um, so, like, stuff like the Homestead strike, which right. might be in its own episode. It's really mm -hmm. good. It's a really interesting period. Um, and then there's also, like, a major streetcar, uh, like, trolley strike in New yeah. York. And a lot of these boys have been selling papers about the trolley strike, right? Um and also, a lot of these kids stood in solidarity with those folks and would, like, block drivers from being able to get to the trolleys while people were striking. Yeah. So these kids are, like, entrenched in this culture. It's like of... a precursor to the coal wars, too. It's like... Yes. A little yeah. bit before that happened. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is not unusual for people to be sticking up for their rights what is unusual is for children to be sticking up for their rights and children who not who aren't direct employees yes. of the companies yes but the company to say we also still deserve mm -hmm. good working conditions and but the company doesn't sell, sell papers without these kids right, right. like they sell them right. to their subscribers you are still making money off of our work mm -hmm. therefore we deserve good working conditions and pay yeah. Um, but, you know, even as the strike goes on, they'll end up blocking wagons for subscribers as well at, in yeah. efforts to make the right. um, companies feel the pain a little bit more. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
so they the strike begins July 18th. On July 19th, 300 newsies meet in City Hall Park to organize the strike. And they're kind of it it feels like playing pretend, but they're organizing the way that they've seen other people organize. That adults would. Yeah, yes. they they elect members or they elect officers. They create a discipline committee and they start spreading the word around the it city. It just goes to show you that like the kids are always listening and watching and learning. Hundred percent. Right? They're not to be exploited just because they're kids. Like they know better. They know what they deserve. Well, and all their parents are also working in these poor conditions. Yeah. Several of and them have probably have been a part been of labor strikes. strikes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to talk just a little bit about a couple of big names yeah. in the strike, uh, important people. So the, the like big charismatic leader is Louis Belletti and his nickname is Kid Blink. Um, and his, that's his nickname because he wears an eye patch. I love that. It's um, such a good nickname. <laughs> it is really good. He's 18 years old. He's an Italian American. He's a redhead. He had a couple other, um, nicknames that like revolved around well, sure. all of that. Um, and then the president of the new union is David Simmons. I, I saw some sources say he was 18 and some say he was 21 at the time of the strike. I think it makes sense that their, like, leaders were slightly older, older. kids. Yeah. But they relied on the younger kids to do a lot of the legwork, you know? Sure. Um, David Simmons has been selling papers since he was, like, eight. He's an amateur Jewish boxing champion. Ooh. So that kid's out there. Um, <laughs> that kid's out there. Yeah. Uh, there is a lot of violence in the early days of the strike. Like, their initial tactics were violent ones. Yeah. Um, anybody found selling papers from the two boycotted companies... Anybody would, scabbing. Yes. Yeah. Would be mobbed and beaten. Um, the kids carried around baseball bats and, like, whatever they could find. And if somebody was selling papers, they would get them. Um, the newspaper owners would pay a lot of adults to sell the papers um and they would tell them that the police were going to protect them from the kids but then the kids would distract the police officers so that other kids could go attack the scabs um um, kids are brutal yeah and they're they're tricky yeah um the scabs though a lot of them were you know awful uh they Also armed themselves, often with firearms, because they could get them. Cool. Um, There's, like, a story of one, uh, a scab, like, putting a loaded gun down Kid Blank's throat. Um, You know. Okay. Who knows if that's true or not, but I read that a couple times. I would That's, like, a story, yeah. Um, So the scabs are really brutal. Um, A bunch of the children working in the city, though, are all standing in solidarity with the strike as well um the labor movement for children will go on after this but this is one of the first major movements in that and has a decent influence on child labor laws going forward precursor to getting adults to care about child labor laws because the kids care at this point right yes they're saying this is not right and they needed to care and say something before they could start getting adults to care probably i Mm. think yeah. Um, so, like, one example I read was that the papers were trying to get um, Salvation Army girls to sell, mm. but they refused to break the picket line, so Good they wouldn't them. do it. Um, I mean, I, I'm not one to root for the Salvation Army, but I will root for those girls. For, yeah, for the kids <laughs> working there, you know? Yeah, exactly. 
Um, they hang posters and they distribute flyers around the city um, asking for people to support them by not buying the world or the journal. So mm-hmm. they're calling, they're striking, but they're also calling for a boycott. Yeah. Because um, that's the, essential. These people are powerful enough that they're going to be able to find scabs kind of no matter what. Right. But the scabs don't the do anything. The consumer is really the one that will tip the scales. Yeah. Yeah. The scabs are useless if the people won't buy from them. Consumer is king, man. Yeah. That's just um, and there are other newspapers in the city, so it's not like they are suddenly not getting their right. news, right? And frankly, they might be getting some more reliable news from them at this point. Right. Not all of them, but some. Yeah. Um, the World and the Journal, obviously, don't publish any news about the strike. They do a complete right. blackout on that. But other papers, including the New York Sun, famously posted or um, did a lot of yeah. news reports about this. Um, we're all reporting on it. They all they also would do a lot of exaggerating of the like violence of it all, but it did help build mm-hmm. sympathy mm-hmm. for the kids. So you know. Um, this is what I think is really interesting. The other newspapers who would write about them would quote the kids using their slang. They're like mm. thick New York accents. Yeah. This early, like this turn of the century slang. So yeah. like this, um, it's this like is a, Americanized Cockney. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah. Th- so this is a quote. Um, Weezons has got to stand by one another these times. Like, that's what it you says. It. <laughs> which I think is, um, so interesting because that means that most of the direct quotes we have from the actual kids striking are all written in their slang. Yeah. Well, I think that was a really smart move because the adults reading these quotes will understand it and they will find it authentic. They, yeah. Because they're not paraphrasing mm-hmm. or changing it to like dumb it down or right. to make it more palatable. And alternatively. The adults reading it hear people say, talk like this and yeah. they probably also talk like this. So when they read it, they're like, okay, this paper is A, really on our side and B, mm-hmm. really printing what they actually said. Right. And I understand what they're saying, and, and I can agree with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I also think, alternatively, some of the um, people who were less good people, but, like, really had sympathy for the poor, oh, would yeah. read that and go, oh, these poor kids oh, don't know yeah. how to speak. We have to help them so they that can go to true. school. Like, That's it's totally that, like... the other side of that line yeah. Of, like, yeah. preying on more affluent people mm-hmm. and their kind of pity to the poor if there is any you know but yeah yeah that's yeah. interesting um but i just think that's um i think it's so interesting that the only direct quotes we have from people are all written like this i love that yeah i think it's cool i, I think that's great um because of all of this after the strike hearst ends up withdrawing from the like publishers association in the city mm-hmm. because he like he feels so betrayed that they would publish about this in his trying time. But it's like, dude, it's news. It's news. <laughs> and they, they're and your you're not reporting it. They're your competitors. They're going to so make like, money off of your demise, of course. Right, yeah. Especially when you're so big. Like, And so come stubborn. On. Like, you didn't make the right move, so you they're talk going about, to exploit that. Right? You want to talk about capitalism, bud? This is what it looks like. 100%. Like, <laughs> it's a free market, right? So Yeah. Why should they be loyal to you and what you want? <laughs> exactly. Um, on July 24th, 1899, 
the Newsies have a citywide rally at Irving Hall. Um, one source I found said an estimated 5,000 boys from Manhattan attend the rally. Wow. Um, about 2,000 from Brooklyn and several hundred from other areas of the city. Mm-hmm. So it was a big yeah. meeting. Um, there are a few, like, local politicians and businessmen who come and speak. Like, a, sen- a local senator, like, funded the event. Right. Sure. So they are starting to get more visible support, you know? Um, the David Simmons, the president, reads a list of resolutions and says that the strike will stand until they're met. Uh, the two things they want most is for prices to drop and for there to be a buyback policy. So they want prices to go back to 50 cents and they want the papers to buy back what they don't sell. Right. So that they don't lose money. Um, He also calls for more nonviolent tactics because now that they're getting more attention, people do not like that as much. Yeah. And also like we're in the bargaining stages now. Right. Yeah. You have to give something in order to get something most of the time. Um, Several other like leaders of different groups speak. Um, and I have included some of their names because I think all their nicknames are very funny. So I'm going <laughs> to read some of them to you now. Okay. Uh, speeches were made by Warhorse Brennan. Sure. Um, I'm skipping around a little bit. Crazy Arborn. Um, Annie <laughs> Kelly was one of um, the few news women like adult women right. who sold papers who stood with them there were like several that the kids were very friendly with but they all scabbed um yeah. but she was a she was a union gal through and through she's like very famous for sticking with the kids um racetrack Hig- higgins <laughs> hungry joe kernan like I love, that. I love it i like all their nicknames um a floral horseshoe, why, I don't know, oh. is given to Kid Blink for giving the best speech of the night. Um, so they all... So, like, what you would put out at a funeral? They were like, good job. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> what? I don't know. Okay. I have no idea why that was the choice, but he won it. Um, and this is a quote from his speech. Ain't that 10 cents worth as much to us as it is to Hertz and Polister, who are millionaires? Mm. Well, I guess it is. If they can't spare it, how can we? Mm. You tell them. You tell them, kid. Um, they had planned to have a parade on July 26th. They were going to have like 6,000 people marching and fireworks and all this stuff, but they aren't able to obtain a permit. Wow. So they never get to do that. Um, and then this is when the publishers are starting to try and buy off some of the leaders, uh, especially because a lot of the leaders are older kids. Yeah. Who, like, need the money. Need you know? big sums of money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the publishers offer for, to some 300 some up to $600 um, to end the strike. And now there's some back and forth about this. It seems like Kid Blank and David Simmons may have sold out. Mm. Um, so they show up on Park Row on July 26th with bundles of the world and the journal. Um, and they say, like, they, they negotiated a, a settlement. And, like, Kid Blink is wearing, like, a nicer, nicer clothes and, like, you know, it, like, seems like they sold out, the older kids. Snake. 
Um, and this is like the spokesman and the president, you know, right. so this was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, they put the strike committee puts them on trial and neither of them get convicted, but they do both step out of office. Well, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> um, David steps down to treasurer, um, and Morris Cohen becomes the new president and Ed Racetrack Higgins oh, becomes yeah. the vice president. Um, that same night, Kid Blink is chased down by a group of angry boys because they're mad about, like, the rumors of him selling out. And the police see them, and they assume that Kid Blink is, like, leading these boys around. Sure. To disturb the peace. that's his reputation with them. So they arrest him, but not any of the other boys. Um. Oh, no. And he (laughs) gets off with a fine, but. he can pay now with all that money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. On July 27th, the World and the Journal offer 55 cents per hundred for the papers. But the strikers refuse because that was not their resolution. Um, But over the next couple of days, with the whole drama with the leaders, they are starting to lose some numbers. Right. Um, And so two days later, they say, okay, well... We'll ke- we'd like to keep our prices at 60 cents per hundred, but we will buy back any papers that are unsold. So we yeah. will have that buyback policy. And the one- the people who are still striking decide that that is a good enough compromise. Um, and they agree. And the strike ends on August 1st. And that's a collective bargaining agreement, baby. Yes, indeed. Um... There is still, like, a Newsboys union that stays for a while. Like, shortly after this, um, the Sun locked out a couple of their printers. And so some mm. Newsboys strike until they agree to have them back and they, like, do a whole parade and stuff. But this was effectively the end of the strike. Um, struck papers experienced between a 20 and 30% drop in sales during the strike. That's which significant. is that's significant that's for significant. these people. They will. Yeah. They notice that money being gone. If you're a millionaire, twenty to thirty percent is a big chunk of money. That's yeah. a lot of money. Um, and also, like, you have to think they're also spending a lot of extra money on scabs. Yeah, they have to and pay the scabs more than they would have on police, paying off the police, yeah. and like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um. So it was not. It was not an insignificant oh, effect. No. The boycott and the strike were very effective. Yeah. Um, I just have a couple little, like, notes of, why do we still remember this, you know? Yeah, sure. In 1942, DC Comics creates a series called Newsboys Legion, which is, like, based on the strike. Yeah. Um, and it ran for several years. And then, in 1992, Walt Disney creates, <laughs> um, creates Newsies. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Um, and then that gets adapted into a Broadway musical in uh, 2012. That seems so late. I feel like I it, in my brain, it's been around It's existed so forever. Yeah, yeah, same. Um, <laughs> the characters in the musical, the leads are fictional, but they're based right. off of like Kid Blank and Dave Simmons. Um, but there are a few side characters who are named after the real people. Right. So one of them is like Spot Collins and right. Racetrack like an and like they, to them. Yeah. yeah, and they're and they're all in like the appropriate boroughs. Like the Manhattan leader is the same, and the Brooklyn leader, you know. Um, 
so that's they're all remembered that way. Uh, in 2003, their story is told in a nonfiction book, Kids on Strike, by Susan Kids Campbell. On strike. Campbell Bartoletti? Nope. Bart? Bartoletti. Bartoletti. Um, <laughs> and then there have since been other little little things here and there, but. Yeah. That's the Newsboys strike. I love it. You I know, also I love it. My little, like, anti capitalist heart is sitting here the whole time being like, you know, if those subscription wagons, if those workers had supported the strike right away. <laughs> They would have actually gotten the things they wanted and they maybe could have gotten more because those were actual employees and they would have had their own demands. Yeah. This is why solidarity in strikes is so important. Solidarity forever. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It's so important. It is so important. Yeah. That's, that's the newsies. That's the plot of newsies. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. they basically do a good job in the adaptation yeah it's great it's pretty, um, i mean the time the time period like, is slightly different yeah and it's um, not like they had like all of this like long history to work with where they had to leave like a bunch of stuff out they mm-hmm. that helped them certainly yeah. to stay pretty true but yeah um yeah. it's a it is a very good telling of this story i it feel is. you um, get it when you watch it you're like yeah i understand what yeah what went down yeah well, that was great. I love a union story. Me too. We There will be more uh, yeah. across this podcast, certainly, <laughs> yeah. because I have a, a deep love for a lot of different unions. We haven't talked about the Coal Wars yet. No, we so have not. And I've wars, got some things to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that There are several different. We we briefly did when we talked about Mother Jones. Oh, sure. Yeah. So if you'd like a little preview of that, um, go I back to our Mother Jones episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. Because there's like four or five different episodes that probably need done to yeah. properly cover we'll do the that mind wars. Vignettes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it is a vignette story, you yeah. know. Yeah. Like the Hatfields and McCoys is also the mind wars. So like, yes. you know, yeah. th- and that's its own beast. Oh, for sure, for sure. Well, history is great, but today is good too. What's your favorite thing about modern times? Welcome to Modern Times. It's a segment of the podcast where we talk about things that we like about the here and now. Yay. Let's do it. Um, I'm, I'll go first because I just realized I think I might have done this one before, but I thought okay. about it earlier today and so I wanted to talk about it. I kind of think I might have done mine too, but I'm not sure. Sick. I can't remember. Love that for us. Me. Um, <laughs> mine was going to be social studies fair projects. Now, I, I think I've talked about the social studies fair. I can't remember. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, but the reason I was thinking about it is I was thinking, if I had known this story when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I 100% would have done a social studies fair project on this. And then I was thinking that this podcast is basically us doing little social studies fair projects. <laughs> With um, poster board. Yeah, because there's so yeah. much on this, it, on this podcast that I want to do like an adult social studies fair project on. And then I was like, oh, that's what this podcast is. Um, basically. Do you think we could get enough people to run an adult social studies I program? want to do that so bad. I've thought about it <laughs> constantly. Because so my friend that I work with is the county coordinator for our social studies fair. And we have talked a lot about the social studies fair and how we both desperately want to do it. Um, even though we're like in charge of it or whatever. Right. Um, and so I was just thinking about making a social studies fair project. I don't know. I it's like, that. it was so fun to sit and do all the research and like, it wasn't just like a, and here's what happened. It was also, you had to like find an essential question and like answer it. And yeah. 
make your little poster and, and all of your, your little opinion, which you yeah. don't always get to do when you're like writing a paper. Yes, yeah. Sometimes, um, but not always. And you had to like you had to have artifacts, so it's like very yeah. heavy in the arts and crafts. It's I like, loved the arts and crafts aspect. You know that was my favorite. Part. The social studies <laughs> fair is basically like a perfectly created entity for me as a person. <laughs> yeah. I also want to note there are definitely people like who would listen to this podcast who would maybe not know what that is because not everywhere does a social studies fair. Oh like, yeah. I have friends not from West Virginia who in their states never did this. In and their it's states, really? Yes. It's not a West Virginia exclusive thing, but there are several states that don't do social studies fairs. I never thought that other states wouldn't do it. Yeah, it is not a thing everywhere. Because, because most places do a science fair. Science fair is pretty universal. Social so studies fair is not they'd all do social studies. I did too yeah. and then I started researching it um and yeah it is not a thing everywhere there's like a national competition that is not called the social studies fair but that's like what no, it is yeah. um and so I know some people who have who knew what that was but did, were the concept was foreign to them but it is basically yeah. it's a science fair but instead of doing studies. an experiment you choose a different topic you explore and a topic or a concept. You ask an essential question about it and then right. answer it through research is basically what I always it is. liked that it was full social studies and not just history because that meant you could explore things like civics. You know, yeah, or- we had um a kid go on to nationals this year for a psychology um right. one and she did an experiment with hers and it was very good. Um yeah, That's so but interesting. like I didn't realize that other places in the US wouldn't there are states that don't do it and i just think that's crazy um interesting but i find great joy in it so that was my if you're from one of those states that didn't do a social studies for are you confused can you tell us yeah (laughs) i want to know because i have a friend who lived in several different states um and only lived in west virginia towards the end of high school so Mm. when she would have been past any requirement to do that and she did not know what i was talking about the first time i talked about a social studies fair that's so interesting yeah she was like what like like a science fair and i was like yeah exactly it's like when you're from west virginia and you first realize that other people don't eat pepperoni rolls all yes (laughs) yeah and then i was like wait is that only a west virginia thing and it's not only a west virginia thing but west virginia is one of the few that still does it wow that's really interesting Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of material for we social sure studies in West Virginia. So I get why we would be. I love our state and local studies cap- category. Yeah. Yeah. Always interesting stuff. Well, we require people to take our state history, which I, well, I don't every, know that every other state, states do. They that. do. Mm-hmm. Every state has a state history. for other states. Yeah. Anyway, that's a really good one. Thank you. Do you want to know mine? Yeah. Cozy games. Oh, Yeah. Whether they are board games or, like, video games, PC games, whatever. I love cozy games. Yeah. Because I'm not, like, an intense video game player. Like, Amanda knows this about me. I am not very good at most video games. If it requires, like, skill, I'm not good at it. Um, But I like to play, like, a cozy, comforting, aesthetically pleasing Um game that moves slowly that's mm-hmm. very important to me that it a gentle pace slowly yes um the most intense i get with video games is street fighter <laughs> 
and it's just because the controls are so easy. Right? I don't know. I think you get kind of intense with Lego games too, to be fair. Well, that's mostly because I'm frustrated. <laughs> I get frustrated with trying to complete the tasks. Yeah. And then I get really excited when I complete them. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, very simple gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not complicated. Um, so that I, I love that, but also like cozy board games that are aesthetically pleasing. Like, um, what's that game? Uh, parks. We love, I love parks. parks game. Yeah. Um, Lanterns is, is so, my all time yes, favorite co- cozy board game. Me one. and my friend who was an RA, my friend, M, um, would for hours sit and play that game while she was on duty. Like, that's yeah. all we would do. I would bring it down, and our her whole duty, we would just play that game over and over it's and over It's so low-key, low, low key and you can, like, walk away from it. You can mm-hmm. have a nice, like, warm drink while you're playing it. It's yeah. not, like, competitive. And, like, some of them are kind of competitive, but not in, like, an intense way, you know? Yeah. Like, I would argue that, like, the Parks game is kind of competitive, because you're trying to win and outsmart. It's a, at the very least, it's strategic. But, Yes, strategic mm-hmm. is the right word. But I love a cozy game. I've, yeah, very I've been in gentle. a cozy mood lately. I was playing my cozy games the other day and watching Over the Garden Wall, and I was like, ooh, Ugh. so cozy. Oh, <laughs> uh, how the gentle wind. Yeah. So that's Oh, mine. God, I love that show. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right, folks. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Tell us about your social studies fair experience. Oh my God. Yes, please. If you did do a social studies fair, I want to know what you did your social studies fair project on because um, I think that the ones that people have done are really, really interesting. Like one time we in high school, the theme that year, because they don't do themes anymore, which really bums me out, but they used to do themes. We didn't have a theme, I don't think. um, And the theme had something to do with like the founding of America, you Mm. know? Um, And me and my friend really wanted to do Henry VIII as our project. And we figured out that we could connect that to the founding of America because the Church of England is the reason people started coming to to America. And that blew my tiny mind. That fact blew my tiny mind. But it was just because we really wanted to talk about how crazy Henry VIII was. Hey. You don't have to tell me if yeah. I wanted to talk about how crazy Henry VIII Like, we just really wanted to do that project, kind of and we figured thing, out <laughs> how to connect it. And, like, that was our essential question, was, like, how did Henry VIII cause the founding of America? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. I, I want to know that. what your social studies projects were. Yeah. Mine was, like, I, I don't remember exactly what it was. I remember we talked a lot about Thomas Jefferson, and I remember that we used a $2 bill as one of our... <laughs> Mm-hmm. like artifacts i did and um we we went to county we won first place of our school fair and we went to county that but that was the only time i did it and i don't remember that much from it i did one on the water crisis in africa once oh, yeah, I, I did that. one on prohibition once yeah because i, I only f- did like, the one the year i, I was found, required to do it but i found out that it was illegal to sell alcohol in america and i was like what do you mean that that ever happened <laughs> and so i did a social studies fair project where- about it <laughs> And then I taught my kids about that this year. And I was like, did you know? (laughs) And they were like, no. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. And then I did an episode on it on the podcast. Yes, we did do an episode about Prohibition, which was a great episode. Thank you. Um, I think about that graphic you talked about in that episode all the time. Oh, the drunkard's progress. Oh, it's great. Um, Okay. Well, 
we did a lot of rambling in that one, but I think it's fine. It's worth um, it. <laughs> I hope everybody. We have things to say. One. Listen, yeah, a lot of things to say. Um, if you have any topic suggestions for future episodes, because I don't know what I'm going to talk about next time, um, I'd love to hear them. You can send them to us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at rttpod. Um, and we would really love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. July. I can't I also can't believe it's July. Yep. Well, you know, here we are. Um, and until next time. <laughs> <laughs>